Hi guys, my name is Wale and I'm the leader of Infant Church and I want to thank you so much for tuning into our online service. If this is your first time, please feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Infant TV, or you can listen to us on Infant Podcasts. God bless you guys.
the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated. And we will shout it out, shout it out.
to magnify the praises of our God. The rocks cry out if we don't shout the praises of our God. There's nothing that can stand against the praises of our God. We will defeat the enemy with the praises of our God. Sing praise to our God For His name is worthy, worthy Oh, sing praise to our God For our God is worthy, worthy The praises of our God The rocks cry out If we don't shout The praises of our God There's nothing that Can stand against The praises of our God We will defeat The enemy With the praises of our God Praise to our God, yeah. for His name is worthy, worthy. Oh, sing praise to our God, yeah. for our God is worthy, worthy. You are my 
Christian life is a partnership between God and the Christian family, the church. God is the source of all things, including our money, and we give back to him in the form of tithes and offerings. This enables the church to undertake the work to which God has called us, extending the kingdom and giving to his name. You can give by a bank transfer or at weareimprint.org give.
Hi Imprint Church, uh, my name is David and you might have seen me doing some of the tough questions and tough answers that uh, Wale was doing with me recently. He's now asked me to preach to you on the message of marriage, uh, the theology of marriage, some practical elements and some things to do with gender roles and sex as well. So uh, just a nice light topic for a Sunday, um, but one that I hope will uh, move you will inspire you and challenge you and will hopefully uh, shed even more light on what the gospel is and how we have a deep relationship with God as well as each other. So we're going to be looking at this passage that we've we've heard read to us um, but before that let me just frame a few things for us. Um, for me it was quite a long while ago now that I was doing things like GCSE English literature. Um, for some of you it might seem a lot uh, fewer time between. But uh, you might remember that with Shakespeare plays in particular, you knew it was a comedy if it ended with a wedding. And this was a trademark of a comedy. You knew it was going to be, um, everything was going to be okay because, you know, the characters got married. And it was the same with things like the Disney films that we grew up with. You know, if Aladdin and Jasmine got married or Sleeping Beauty got married or Snow White got married, then surely everything was going to be okay and they'd live happily ever after. Well, Stories might end with a wedding, um, but stories also start with a wedding. Weddings uh, are the start of a marriage. They are the start of a long journey of life together. And um, you might know this or you might not, but your Bible actually, in a sense, starts and ends with a marriage, both in terms of human beings and Jesus or human beings and God, and also human beings together in terms of the book of Genesis. And we'll come back to that in a bit. And... Our human story, in a sense, falls apart as man and wife are coming together um, in the same way that God and human beings are kind of splitting apart at the same time in Genesis 3. And again, we're going to look at that in a bit. But let's retreat back in a minute for a minute to our passage in Ephesians. And we are looking at a picture that Paul is presenting to the church in Ephesus about marriage. Now, if you scroll back or flip back in your Bible to the bit just before this passage, what Paul is trying to emphasise to the church is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled or keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he could have chosen all kinds of different practical elements of human life to emphasise what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in, he actually chooses marriage as the context in which to emphasise what it looks like. And John Tyson actually uses a particular phrase when he's talking about marriage. And that is Holy Spirit filled mutual submission. That's Holy Spirit filled mutual submission. And we're going to unpack that phrase as we look through this passage. But I just want you to bear in mind that idea that as we look through this, we're not just talking about a man and a wife. We're not just talking about humans. We're talking about God's involvement in this process as well. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's process in this and how when we, when two believers who are spirit-filled come together in marriage, they're not alone in the endeavour. They're not alone and have to just work it out in their own brokenness, but they're actually coming together, reliant on the Holy Spirit, reliant on God to help them work things out and to bring in a sense of perseverance, a sense of long life commitment to each other and to serve him together. So when we look at a passage like this passage in Ephesians, um, firstly, it goes without saying that even in our context today, this passage is pretty countercultural. It's pretty scandalous, really. And if you read it out loud at a wedding or you read it to friends or you might have non-Christian friends who end up reading it, there are probably going to be a lot of questions that come out of it. And so as we go through this today, I hope that some of the things that I unpack will help you answer some of these questions, both for yourself and also for your friends and family who maybe don't know God or are unfamiliar with this topic. So we want to read this passage first and foremost, as much as we can, like the people who were receiving it for the first time. So I want you to imagine you are 
you know, one half of a married couple living in Ephesus in the first century. And one Sunday, your pastor says, oh, Paul has sent us a letter. I'm going to read it out. Um, and what Paul is writing in this letter is what he's asking us to take on board as believers in Christ. And he's going through things. He's unpacking, pre in a sense, predestination of God. He's, he's unpacking um, sin and the fall and how we were dead in our sins, but now we're not. He's unpacking the, the unification of the Jews and the Gentiles together. He's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then, boom, in comes this passage, this kind of grenade, this theological bomb of uh, a passage about marriage and outside of the walls of that house church that they would have been taking part in in Ephesus outside of those walls you had a certain culture going on and in that culture at the time it was very male dominated and generally speaking women were expected to stay at home to look after the kids and the men were able to go out and sort of seek whatever pleasure they wanted to really they could go to the temple prostitutes they could go to the brothels they could generally speak in their culture you know um, emphasize that and even encourage that as part of their sort of culture and, and and even probably part of their economy and so that was obviously going to cause tension in a marriage um, not only that but Men were usually a lot older than women in the marriage. The men could be up to even 50 before they were getting married. And the women would be, you know, as young as 18 or even younger sometimes. So that huge age gap as well is going to cause problems and it's going to cause challenges within a marriage. So that's part of the context. Um, we also, having said that, even though that was a male-dominated culture, you did also start to have a feminist movement. You had women who were fed up with this. They were fed up with having to, in a sense, submit to a culture and to a marriage that was just demeaning to them as women. And so some of them were already starting to file for divorce, even though that was totally unheard of really at the time for a woman to do that. And also you had women going out and hunting wild pigs bare-breasted. This was a famous picture and image of the feminist movement at the time. And so you have this chauvinistic, masculine culture. You also have this kind of uprising of feminism. But also you have around this time um, an emphasis from the Roman Empire, from uh, Caesar Augustus, of what's called the Pax Romana, the Roman household, the Roman family unit. And the Roman Empire was kind of in a bit of danger, really. It was kind of starting to get eaten up a bit from the inside. And so they were they had this idea that, well, if we can emphasize the 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 hum the um the household sorry and the the family unit then maybe that will help with the roman empire and so they were putting heavy fines on people who were single and they were putting um, heavy fines on people who were getting divorced and it was this middle ground of this family unit that they were trying to encourage and so you had people who were maybe trapped in marriages that they weren't happy in uh, men and women um but yet maybe they didn't want to get divorced or couldn't get divorced because um, of the fines and they just couldn't afford it or they couldn't afford to be single either and wanted to get married so that they had that, um, you know, that income going on as well. So there's all these different things going on culturally as this passage about marriage is being read out. Um, and obviously we've got our own culture, we've got our own things and we can look at that briefly. Um, but to start with, we just want to be thinking about that culture. And so that means that when we go to the passage, let me just turn to this passage again, and we look at um, verse 21 right at the start. This is talking to all of them. This is talking to the women and the men. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So right from the start, Paul is emphasizing this isn't for one gender. This isn't for the other. This is for both of you. You both need to learn this Holy Spirit filled submission to one another and you're submitting to one another because you've already submitted yourselves to Christ. You're already living in reverence of Christ and therefore you need to um, submit to one another as well mutually. So right from the start Paul's saying there's no get out clause here. You're both supposed to do it and, um, and this is basically what I'm going to unpack for you now is what that looks like. And then he goes straight into saying, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. 
So there's two things here, very briefly. One is that women were probably going to be a bit annoyed about this because of all the reasons that I mentioned before, chauvinistic um, marriages that they might be in. You know, they're looking over at their their husbands thinking, really, this is what I've got to do now. But then there's that other element of, well, um, you're not just being asked to submit point blank. You're actually being asked to submit as you submit to the Lord. So what that should mean then is that the reason we submit to Jesus is because we trust him. And we love him and we know that he's full of compassion and kindness and goodness. And so he's worth submitting to. So in the same way, wives are being asked to submit to their husbands only as they submit to Christ. And that is inspired by all of those things that I just listed. So that is one thing to pull out of this. Now, they are told, you know, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So there is a challenge here, um, both, I think, to their culture back then and then also to us now. Um, I think, you know, we've we've also seen a strong feminist movement. Um, A lot of people would argue that it's gone too far and it's become tainted and it's become toxic. But that is something that is part of our very recent and even present history. And so we have to have that question in our hearts. I think as women, obviously, I can't speak as a woman, but I'm speaking out of the word of God to you here and saying that um, there's Paul is asking women to submit to husbands. And that is a challenge that you have to take up and you have to pray about. And you have to, you know, if you're not married yet, then that's something that you can work through now before you get married. And it's it's there. It's right there in the Bible to submit to your husband. But as we will look at in a second, that doesn't therefore mean that the woman is somehow beneath her husband or is somehow lesser. It it just means that she's supposed to submit to him in response to what the husband is then asked to do. And we'll look at that now. So it says then, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now that is that's massive that's explosive and all men should I think tremble a little bit in holy fear and understanding um, and reverence that if you get married what you are volunteering to do is to take a woman and to love her like Christ loves the church even dying for her now In some ways, it's very easy for me to say, oh, I would die for my wife because, you know, I think there's something maybe inbuilt in humans that we can sort of say, well, I would die for a lot of people. You know, I would die for my children. I would die, um, you know, I would jump in front of a bullet for all of these different people that I love. And, you know, that is something that is kind of inbuilt in humans, I think. But... I think it's it's so much more than that because the opportunity to actually physically, literally die for somebody else is not really going to come along very often, thankfully. But it's more of that day-to-day dying to self. You know, Jesus died to himself in a sense. You know, we look in the Garden of Gethsemane and we see how he knelt in the garden and said, God, please take away this cup from me. Um, and yet not my will but your will be done and that's something that we need to be saying as husbands to God all the time not my will but your will be done and if a if a husband is ever tempted to say to his wife oh you need to submit to me well the wife very much biblically has the ability to say well you need to die you need to die to yourself you need to die to your own selfish gain your own selfish ambitions just as all Christians are called to do that but husbands within the marriage contexts are are actually asked to do that by God um, every day basically so this is probably the most important thing that I can say about this passage is that um, in a passage that could easily be taken the wrong way why do you just need to submit to your husbands and the husband gets to have a jolly it's just not the case at all it's a case of the wives are only required in a sense or they're only inspired to submit to their husband when their husband is acting like Jesus and so blokes if you're not married yet you've got time now to get close to Jesus to learn what it is to die to self so that hopefully by the time you are getting married you have already started putting that into practice and then you get a new canvas to paint on in terms of humility 
um, in terms of self-sacrifice and in terms of service. And um, before I forget, two books that you could potentially read that are really helpful. One is just an overview on marriage as a whole, which is by Tim Keller. Um, and um, it's a, a purple book, if I remember rightly, and it's Tim Keller's book on marriage, and I would highly recommend it. And then the other one is The Five Love Languages, and that comes in different forms, um, but there is one specifically for married couples, which you can buy, and you can learn what your what your top love languages are as an individual, and one day when you're married, or if you're you know dating someone at the moment, you can work out what their love languages are as well, so that you can really learn how to serve each other and husbands in particular you can learn how your wife best kind of feels affection um, and you know ways that she will know that she is loved by you and is you're not just constantly asking for the kind of affection and kind of love that you want so i highly recommend looking into both those books and obviously other resources as well on marriage from writers and preachers that you trust and also for husbands we are asked to present our wives like a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. So there's another challenge here, which is leading the family unit, using um, leading the household well in terms of prayer, in terms of worship, in terms of reading the Bible, but also just in terms of um, helping your wife to thrive both in her spiritual life, but also just in life in general. And um, John Tyson, the great preacher, again, to quote him, um, he asks himself a question regularly as a husband, which is, is my wife thriving because of me or is she thriving in despite of me? In spite of me. So you need to ask yourself, maybe as a boyfriend or as a husband or even beforehand, like get this into your mindset that as a, as a partner, as a husband, as a, as a leader of the household, you are being asked to help your wife thrive. Now, it might be to help her thrive as a mother, it might be to help her thrive as um, a house, you know, a household runner. But it's, you know, these days in particular, it's going to be to help her thrive in finding the vocation, the, the job, the career that she wants to do. Uh, does she want to, you know, do another degree or does she know exactly what she wants to do and just need you to help out with the kids? Or does she genuinely see in you what you want to do and her passion is to help you do that and you're working together it will look like many different things but the point is that as a husband you are um, being asked by God in marriage to help your wife thrive um, and to grow and a great passage to read as inspiration for this is Proverbs 31 right at the end of the book of Proverbs this amazing description of what um, what God sees as like a godly woman, as someone who is thriving and doing really well. And as husbands, we have the privilege and the honour of helping our wives see that come to fruition. Now, briefly, um, I hope that that talks about gender roles for you and is helpful in that. Um, obviously, we even to this day have unfortunate ideas of what gender roles look like. Um, which we've kind of inherited from, from re recent generations. But let me just say this, that in my experience, guys, there are a few things that are sexier to a woman than a guy who actually does the washing up, who actually cleans up after himself, who cooks meals, who does look after the kids when, he's old, when, they're, when, they're, um, when they have some. All of these different simple things um, when you're married, they become big and they become important. And the better you can do them and the more selflessly you can do them, the more healthy you'll have as a marriage. And I also hope that it goes without saying that for both men and women, we are called to get closer to God. And there is a very simple picture, which is like a triangle. And if you imagine the man and the woman at either corner and God at the top, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And there's the cliched saying, which is couples who pray together, stay together. And my wife and I, we pray together. Um, sometimes we pray for each other separately, pray together. And it's always a blessing. It's always wonderful. I think it always fills us with a sense of peace and a sense of knowing that God's got everything in hand and helps us to um, just smooth out rough edges where we've maybe created them through the day or the week. Um, and 
very finally, we talk about sex. Another thing that can smooth out rough edges. Um, Tim Keller actually calls it the lubricant of marriage, pun not intended. And sex is, again, something that will help kind of smooth things out. And when we think about sex within the context of marriage and why it's important to not have sex before marriage, it's actually because, and this is something that I don't think I even realised until after marriage, when I was, I was, um, we went for a second honeymoon in Canada because my wife's Canadian. We went for a second um, wedding reception, sorry, there. And my parents-in-law actually gave us a book called The Act of Marriage. And it was only through reading that book that I realised that sex itself is the act of marriage. So yes, we can have a wedding ceremony, we can put on a nice white dress, we can put on a tux, we can sing worship songs in a church and we can publicly declare our love and, and commitment to each other. But across the world, no matter where you are, no matter what iteration of a ceremony you have, the idea of con consummating that marriage through sex, that is actually the, the point of it. That is the, that is the actual act of marriage. And so as a challenge, but with no condemnation attached at all, I'm saying that the Bible tells us that sex is marriage and therefore to have sex before a wedding ceremony, etc., is is in a sense just a false start. It's just an early start to marriage. And it's just you. It's basically you guys, you saying to yourself, like, oh, I want to kind of cheat marriage or I want to um, I want to get in there early but without the commitment that comes with it. Because if you start declaring your commitment to your to your partner um, in public, then that's something that you need to really stick with. Whereas if you're having sex in private, etc., then there's no commitment that's necessarily attached to that. So again, that's something that I would recommend you go away and look at more. Um, but as an example, you know, even with Adam and Eve, they had no ceremony. It just says like Adam knew Eve, she was his wife and she conceived a son. And that word new in the Hebrew is, is basically, you know, like that consummation, that, that connecting together of, of having sex. And when we look at the end of the Bible, that again, there's not necessarily a specific ceremony, but it's like that new Jerusalem, that new heaven coming down as a bride. It says as a radiant bride for Christ. And we as the church, we will be his bride in the in the Revelation story at the end of like at the end of the, the kind of fall story, the redemption story we will be his bride. We will be presented to him as a radiant, clean bride through the blood of Christ. And again, not necessarily through any special ceremony, but just through the consummation of new heaven, new earth, humanity and the divine coming together in an explosion, as it were, of love. And, and that creates the new story. It creates the new um, heaven and earth that we will live in eternally. So our Bible starts with a marriage in a sense. It it ends in a marriage in a sense and actually the more you look into marriage the more you can understand the gospel I truly believe that so I hope there's some helpful practical things in there I hope that there is some helpful context in there for you about Ephesus and about the Ephesian church um, and if out of this this has brought up more questions please feel free to uh, message the leadership so that I can get the messages and and uh, and give you some more answers um, but for now God bless you God bless your preparation in your own heart uh, for marriage, whether you're dating or not, if you or even if you are newly married, congratulations. And I hope to see you guys again soon. I love you at Imprint Church. Bye-bye. We are now going to enter into a time of worship. And if anything in the sermon stuck out to you or you'd like prayer for anything at all, don't hesitate to contact us. We would love to pray for you. And if you're new to faith or would like to give your life to Jesus, we'd love to pray or answer any questions you might have. So join us now by clicking on the link in the description box below. You can also send us any prayer requests by DMing any of our social media accounts. And we are always praying for the family. Oh, mm -hmm.
So we're at the end of our service, but before we leave, I'd just like to say, if you have any prayer requests, we actually have a virtual prayer team who would love to pray for you, and you can access them via the Zoom link below. And also, if you are new to faith or would like to give your life to Jesus, then you can actually get in contact with us at weareimprint.org, and someone from the team will get connected with you. God bless your family, and I'll see you next week.